to Cup of Cubby Blue. Your the Cubs were swept by the White Sox at Wrigley Home for Cubs news updates and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts for searching for Bleed Cubby Blue. Subscribe so you never miss an episode and leave us a rating so that other people can find the podcast. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I'm tired from the series and the fact that the sun never shines in Chicago anymore. And I write about the Cubs at Bleed Cubby Blue. How's and today I am joined by the one and only Danny Rocket. How's it going, Danny? I'm about the same. <laughs> Just like it's it's a Thursday after a Cubs sweep from the White Sox. I mean, at least it was only a two-game sweep. I'm just going to look at the silver lining of the clouds that cover Chicago. Yeah, it was, it there was, was a like, sun up there somewhere. It was a mini sweep, I guess. It wasn't like losing all those games to the Brewers where you lose by like six or seven runs, I guess. It was closer. Yeah. <laughs> a loss is a loss. <laughs> I mean, our friend Bleacher Jeff had a good series. There was great <laughs> footage. Of Bleacher Jeff snagging one of Patrick Wisdom's balls, uh, his home run that he hit on Wednesday night. That was not only solid, but it was such an obvious, like sometimes there's like a melee for the home run ball and it's not entirely clear who came up with it. This was such an obvious, just Bleacher Jeff classic grab in the well, which is where he always is. So if you ever hear in the late innings, like banging coming from left field, that is Bleacher Jeff. Uh, it was just such a perfect shot, and the Cubs tweeted it out. Marquee honestly got one of the best screen grabs of all time of Bleacher Jeff with like the American <laughs> flag in the background. I was like, oh, I feel a little patriotic right now. Bleacher Jeff is a patriot, uh, yeah, so why, congrats, buddy. <laughs> yeah, why is he like the like the Cubs Velvet Underground or something? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, he's just going to turn into a cartoon of himself, and he's already a cartoon person as it is, and now it's just going to you're creating a monster Cubs. Like, don't do this to me. Like, I gotta <laughs> I gotta be in a band with this guy. You know what I mean? Like, I sit with him. You know, he's my neighbor. He lives downstairs from me. Like, I see Bleacher Jeff way too much for his big head to be. Poking through the my floor is not going to be good. I kid. No, that was a great snag, and uh, I love t- tweeting it out. And you know, it, it, he deserves all the kudos. He's out there living the life. A lot of people are posers, pretenders, not Bleacher Jeff. Yeah, no, Bleacher Jeff is a true Bleacher original, and you know, it's one of those seasons. Where for the Cubs to have news to cover and to make fans smile, they're going to have to elevate things like this. Like they don't <laughs> don't really have a product on the field that's like, yay. So, you know, you might as well have, some, you know, shout out the great fans. Um, and yesterday, that was awesome. Uh, so kudos to Bleacher Jeff there. That, that's really the highlight of the series. I mean, there's a couple other <laughs> things we're going to talk about here, but that was probably... The best part. Uh, in the first game, Scott Efros got the start because Drew Smiley is on the bereavement lifts, but it was kind of more of an opener thing than an actual start. He threw 1.1 innings. He was responsible for two runs. Keegan Thompson gave up a bomb to Tim Anderson. T- Keegan Thompson's ERA is still like very, very good because he didn't allow a run for like 20 innings. So Keegan Thompson still looks great. He just wasn't quite the unhittable Keegan Thompson that we've come to know and love. Uh, and that that was really the, the story of the game because the Cubs could not score more than one run, let alone three. Um, so I don't know, Danny, what did you see in this first game? Well, I, I'll give it to F. Ross uh, I, a little bit because he did not, those were unearned runs. So it was based upon the quote, the error from Patrick Wisdom 
that made the runs eventually score. The guy's not even expected to pitch that day. Smiley, um, RIP to whatever happened uh, for him. But, it, you know, Cubs could have gotten out of that inning. As far as I'm concerned, the only run that the Sox deserved, maybe even in the entire series, except for all the home runs, only the home <laughs> runs counted, only the home runs counted for the White Sox. But in this game, Tim Anderson's home runs, the only one that counted because those two from Keegan Thompson, it could have gone a lot differently. Like, wasn't that the was there could have been a double play or well, Patrick wisdom. I don't know. It's just, Daddy, I have things news. went wrong. I hate to break it to you, but when the defense yeah. like can't well, get their the- job done and gives up runs, those runs still count. Yeah. Well, I know, but <laughs> I, I know they do, but what I'm saying is F Ross maybe pitches the full two innings. Maybe doesn't give up any runs. Keegan Thompson comes in. Sure, maybe he still gives up the bomb to Anderson. But then, I mean, you're not going to win one-to-one because you got to score, you know. But I'm just saying, like, this could have gone different. And it was such a cold, crappy, terrible night for baseball. It really was. so you knew that this wasn't going to be a game, a high-scoring affair. And to give up runs like that so early in the game and just like be playing from behind, like I just didn't have a good feeling. And the the Cubs offense has been so anemic for the last few weeks. Everybody's fallen off a complete cliff as far as runs score. Ever since they scored 21 runs, (laughs) they haven't scored 21 runs in 10 games. That's a total, uh, you know, Dr. Gonzo stat, but. I it's somewhere around there. I don't think they've scored 21 runs since they've scored 21 runs. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, I, I, I am not looking at it. So you're going to have to do the <laughs> math on that. I, I agree with you. This game was really cold. If that was going to be a high scoring affair, it was going to be a high scoring affair in the fashion of that, like 2018, 2019 game that the Cubs had against Atlanta, where the reason it was such a high scoring affair was because nobody could grab the ball. They were all so cold, so it just airs and weird things kept happening, little blue pits through the infield because people couldn't control what was going on because it was so cold. But that wasn't what happened. I mean, this was just kind of a weak game. I do want to talk, what was the fight in left field between a couple of Cubs fans? I I have a lot of thoughts about this fight. The audio for it is not stuff that I'm going to repeat on the show, but you should go <laughs> check it out if you're so inclined, because frankly, the weirdest part of the audio here is that people keep slowly and drunkenly repeating the same things. And so like at the, very, do. at the very that, end, there's this guy that just like five times is just like, oh, that dude's my like, ride. <laughs> like, yeah, there's a lot of parts. Home, buddy. You're going you're gonna to need a lift. There's a lot of patheticism going around in this video and we'll have it tonight on the sun ranto show live uh so we'll definitely that that's the kind of show that we just play all the words (laughs) so uh but man it was it was like in slow motion i tweeted out i retweeted it and i was like i can't for the life of me find a version of this fight at full speed (laughs) because these two freaking i mean they're middle-aged guys and first of all so stupid I mean, how sore are those guys still right now? (laughs) I'm sure that I bet they've been in bed for two days. I know they can't get up still. Their backs hurt. You know, they probably have to go to the doctor uh, and get, uh, you know, meds and stuff for the pain because there's this was the most pathetic slow motion fight I've ever seen. But also, like, stop fighting because somebody's going to get hurt. Like those bleachers have no backs on their chairs. It's a very steep incline. 
And I've seen people go tumbling down, just trying to catch a baseball, go tumbling down, nachos and beers flying through the air. Like that's the bleachers. But if you add to it, like people tumbling down, somebody innocent's going to get hurt. Uh, somebody not innocent's going to break their neck and get paralyzed or something. I mean, then I, and it's like the Cubs have to put a stop to it because it's a terrible, I mean, fighting's yeah, always no, terrible. Yeah, it's awful, yeah. But it's also incredibly entertaining. Because we all watched it. We all can't look away from the train wreck because we love it. We, I mean, in our deep, sick souls, we all love the bleacher fights, but it's going to end badly. It's just, it's not, this is not good. Those guys, I guarantee they're not walking today. <laughs> I mean, and and that was, that game was two days ago. So, you know, like that definitely was, was rough on those dudes. I, I agree with you that they need to rein it in a little bit. I look, I love the bleachers. The bleachers are great. And it, it it's not, it, it is a raucous environment and that's part of what makes the experience the experience. But our friend Crawley had like shots of the cross X cup snakes going back and forth. And I mean, the slow fight, I, we're just going to call this one the slow fight. I, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> These two guys cannot they're like, and I will punch you they can't. now. <laughs> I oh, they can't. can't do it. They're just so it's like, like, <laughs> just like they're both winded. <laughs> they go on for like four minutes. <laughs> yeah, they're just one is holding the other one down. There's the choice words being hilariously choice words being screamed from the fans. Oh, Honestly, man. though, there there really did need to be like a couple. It, it went on for far too long for there not to be a couple of more ushers there or like some security or something. <laughs> They, they don't have it. I mean, and they're shorthanded out there in, in many respects. And the friendly confines, like they've got the red shirts, they got the blue shirts, and they're all kind of tiered that way. But the Cubs hire a lot of retirees, and they hire – and they don't really have, like, a height and weight requirement for this kind of thing, where it's like – if you look at uh, cops, like, on the street – that are look tough, you know, that's kind of who they should have in there because then people would be a little bit more. I mean, you look at around, I'm saying you're looking around in the ushers and you're not intimidated. You're not by just looking, you're just not there and nothing against them. They do a great job for what they're capable of, but it's not an intimidating look. They're older. There is, they're older than the guys who were fighting. So are, good luck. And, are you implying the bleachers need bouncers? They no, they do. If it's going to be like this, they do because the like our friend Matt Cameron, amazing artist, uh, it does a lot of wonderful charity work uh, and does all the map uh, of the maps with the Cubs painted on them. He's like, listen, I love the bleachers. I got a couple of kids of like teenagers. There's no way I'm going out there. Absolutely. It's too dangerous for kid to bring kids out there. I got a 10 year old. I got some teenagers and I can't do it. Now I was a kid, 10 years old in the bleachers. I was 14 year old, 13, 14 years old going by myself to the bleachers with my bass player, Jarrett, you know, it was rough out there, but we didn't see what we're seeing now. Like I never, I went to a lot of games, like maybe 10 a year by myself, like as the 14 year olds, like my babysitter, I didn't, I don't remember. And I would remember. And as a 14 year old seeing a big brawl, this is happening every time. So it's telling me that people are going out there to do it. So it's, yeah, I mean, 
I don't want to stick on it, but it's just like, and I'm like by no means a stickler to the rules. And like, I do all sorts of terrible things, but not, and I love partying out there. And I've, I've been way too drunk in the bleachers, way too drunk. And you know, many times, but I've, but those kind of Donnie Brooks, like somebody's going to get, somebody's going to get killed. It's just, and it'll be an accident, but it still will result in a death. That one that guy got drunk and was walking on the the outfield wall a couple years ago and fell over the the basket and broke his neck and never walk again. So it's dangerous out there, you know. You don't you don't know. Uh, there's brick walls. There's those bleachers are hard. There's nothing to catch your fall. Like it's ugly. It's freaking May fifth. It is May fifth. This yeah. is not August in a pennant race. It's May freaking fifth. Everybody's gonna slow up. Maybe if the baseball were better, the fights would the fights would slow down. Um, <laughs> oh, the God. second game was not much better. It was four three Cubs on the short side. The wind was definitely howling in, but somehow there were four home runs in this game. And I am just gonna read the the names of people who hit home runs here because frankly, I found it kind of incredible. Jose Abreu, Patrick Wisdom, like whatever, they can totally hit a home run into a stiff wind. That's great. Larry Garcia and Nico Horner. <laughs> It's like, I can't believe that Nico Horner and Larry Garcia are hitting home runs, period, in the year of like crazy soft mush ball, let alone home runs into a howling wind at Wrigley. I think something is up. I don't know. I mean, Nico's Nico's pretty big and he really got a hold of that one and he muscled it out. Super great. I don't know what the was a no doubter. It was a no doubter. I mean, it was it was went farther than Wisdom's home run. I don't know what the feet were, but I I test it went farther than Wisdom's home run. Yeah, back of the bleachers, but further to the left than Wisdom's home run. Yeah, Wisdom's home run would have just made the ba- basket, I think, except yeah. for Jeff caught it. But it's uh, no, but Nico's gotten big, and and I do wonder about his game, like the conditioning of what he's done to his body. You add that kind of strength, and maybe it results in more power. And and that was kind of it was a no doubter because it never it wasn't high. It was a line drive trajectory straight out. And like so, his first one, his first home run was that too. Just like a, it was a line laser shot that was out in a, so fast. So he's, and he's hitting, he's hitting a fair amount of doubles this year too. So it's like that line drive action. And sometimes if you, and that ball was kind of low on him. So he got on, not under it. Cause that's like, has a bad connotation, but he had, he got his uh, trajectory of his swing with a little uptick. And so it ended up going out instead of hitting the wall and for a double or whatever it would have been. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't sell Nico short. I th- I think he might have some pop in that bat that is unexpected. I don't think he's going to go out there and hit 20 home runs, but he might be good for 15. I mean, I don't know. What's he projected to hit? Not 15, not I think 15. Like, yeah. I think like, like four, eight. Let me look at the projections or, page really oh. quick. He he is not projected projected to have a ton of power. Um, I know this because in most fantasy leagues, even in like 15 teamers, he went undrafted uh, in most competitive leagues. If he was drafted, he was drafted as one of the like very last picks. Yeah. Um, so if you look at the fan graphs page, all of the light green on someone's stats page is their rest of season projections. From Zip, Steamers, the Bat, the Bat X, all of these have slightly different numbers because they use slightly different inputs. But none of them project him for more than five home runs mm. total this season. It's like three, five, four, two. Uh, he is not one of those guys that is supposed to have a ton 
of power and pop. They project him as more of like a 260, 270 hit for average bat. And so I think a lot of people went into this season, uh, particularly from the fantasy community, thinking that like second base on the Cubs is a timeshare between Nico Horner and Nick Madrigal, and they're the same player. So if they're the same player, why do you take the 270 bat over the 300 bat, right? Like Nick Madrigal is supposed to hit for a higher average than Nico Horner is. I would contend that Nico Horner is actually showing us a bat that is a lot more lively than what we thought he could do. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like he doesn't have this great barrel rate from StatCast or anything like that right now. So I'm not projecting Nico Horner for 20 home runs or something like that. I don't think that's what you're going to get. And I think if you're looking for that, you would be disappointed. But I do think, I do agree, Danny, that there's more pop in Nico's bat than what people had thought he had. And Every now and again, he just gets a hold of one and crushes it. Yeah. And and I just think that the strength, the conditioning, I don't think that that was figured into whatever Fangraph said because he came to spring training this year. And if you're dealing with his stats in the past, you have a, a slightly different player than I think that was being analyzed at that time. Plus, you're not projecting him for as many at bats as he's getting because he's actually the shortstop now. So, right. Yeah. So, because yeah, and he's doing okay over there, too. I mean, we all miss Javi. I mean, we all saw that play that was going around the other day where he flipped it through his legs and just, I mean, we don't have anybody that can create these magic moments for us, but, uh, well, I know we really don't. I was trying to like rack my brain, go up and down the roster, but no. Uh, but, Nico's pretty serviceable out there. I don't think he's going to be winning any gold gloves at shortstop, but at the same time, it's, it's been playing. Um, he hasn't committed an error yet this year. I don't think. Uh, there's been a ball or two that I think Javi would have gotten to that Nico hasn't. That I've seen. And, yes. But for the most part, like he's been an above average shortstop. I will say while we're talking about infielders and their defense, uh, I texted Danny this during game one, but Nick Madrigal actually showed off his arm a little bit this series and I know we've been giving Nick Madrigal some grief on this show about not having a strong arm it seems like he has a selectively strong arm like sometimes he's kind of like lollipops the throw over there but other times he can actually like throw on the fly so our apologies to Mr. Madrigal well if you don't complain they don't know to do better that's always what I've been contending if as a fan I'm not uh, griping about your poor performance then you have no idea that you need to do better out there in the field so I, I I say thanks to you and me for identifying his weaknesses so he can improve. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we were key to Nick Madrigal throwing the ball a little bit harder. Um, Kyle Hendricks, I know we spent a lot of time on this last time, so I don't think we need to do a deep dive here. But this was not the Kyle Hendricks that we were looking for. He was It wasn't a bad start, really. Like, he kind of went deep in this game, but the home runs were problematic he was getting hit hard he was not doing the like light contact Kyle Hendricks thing even with the wind blowing in at Wrigley I it's going to be a long season if Kyle Hendricks does this every other start I'm you don't know what you're gonna get you might get a guy who gets lit up you might get a guy who throws seven scoreless innings well it's the Dr. Hendo and Mr. Kyle thing uh and I guess I, I had to look it up because it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Dr. Jekyll's actually good, even though Jekyll's like an evil name. Oh. <laughs> and Mr. Kyle is the bad guy, which it seems like it's opposite. It feels like it's opposite in Jekyll and Hyde, too. But uh, so, yeah, he was he was kind of stuck in between Jekyll and Hyde on this one or um, 
Hendo and Kyle, as the case may be. But it was, I mean, he's, we've talked about it. He's slotted wrong. He's not an ace. He's, he, he's got no protection. And there's not another look on the team. You got a bunch of ground ball, slow guys. And, and, and Kyle Justin Hendricks. Steele. And Justin Steele. And then if you get Mills back in there, now you got Kyle Light. Or maybe he's better than Kyle now. I don't know. But if you if you look, Kyle Hendricks, I think, led the league in giving up home runs last year among qualified starters, if I'm not mistaken about that. He was way ahead at some point in the year last year. And this year is no different. So in 30.1 innings pitched, he's already given up six home runs. That's second to Nathan Eovaldi and Eliezer Hernandez of Miami um, in fewer innings granted uh they're having worse a worse time of it but still like this is something we saw last year you got a little bit of a downtick on the fastball uh you had some problems locating in a few of these games where uh Kyle got knocked out early and yeah we it was he was kind of stuck between Mr. Kyle of the home run giving up variety and um had some good innings as well and he did like how many innings did he give us last night Last night, I think it was 5.1 or 5.2. I was actually looking up the home run stat from last year. It looks like he was fourth among qualified starters in home run per nine. Fourth. With uh, 1.54, just behind Zach Granke, Jordan Lyles, and Patrick Corbin. So, I mean, that that list isn't definitive. The guy right after Kyle is Robbie Ray, who won the AL Cy Young last year. But at the same time, you can give up some solo shots if you're not walking anybody and you're going deep into games. It's it's still not Kyle's game, though. Like, Kyle's game is ground balls, weak contact, not a ton of fly balls that are leaving the yard. And if, if all of a sudden he's given up a ton of fly balls and half of them are leaving the yard, we have a problem. Yes, especially when the wind's blowing in. It's, it wasn't a great hitter's night. And uh, so you kind of get a little bit scared when you get into the June, July, August months when the wind can typically be blowing out. If people are getting under that 87 mile per hour heat and throwing, you know, Ooh, could be some, could be some real, uh, real bangers out there in in the outfield, but bleacher Jeff might be a little busy along with my tie guy out there. The bleachers (laughs) shagging baseballs with the lack of crowd out there. There's be bagging around dudes in slow motion fights, tumbling around the bleachers. Oh man. It's only May. (laughs) It's going to be a really, it's going to be a long, long summer. Um, one other pitcher (laughs) I want to chat about before we head to a quick break. Michael Givens appears to really be struggling with location ever since he almost struck out the side in Atlanta, he has just come in and it's been like, I don't know, man, the ball is all over the place. Um, I think the Cubs should let him have a little bit of room to work this out, but they got to figure out a way for that dude to throw strikes again. Cause he is just not right now. Yeah. I mean, it, and only the reason that you want that to happen is so you can trade him. I mean, that, and, I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, David Robertson, you're going to, if he does well, which is doing great then you, you're going to trade a Michael Givens, same thing. You're just going to see the same thing when they got rid of Tapera and Chafin last year, you try to flip these guys for something, get younger, get, get leaner. Well, Danny, that actually leads me to a question that I was going to throw in our MLB news and notes around the league session. But we had a question from Joey W on Twitter, uh, who was wondering along the lines of those trades. Cause I think that we all can see the writing on the wall. This is another one of those trade deadlines where the Cubs are going to be sellers and anybody on like a one-year deal is going to be flipped for prospects. Um, he's wondering 
if the Cubs would trade Seiya Suzuki. And and I, nah, I, I mean, that is, I, well, Judd likes to say no conversation is off limits, but I think the return that the Cubs would ask for for four years of Seiya Suzuki would be pretty astronomical. Well, yeah, why do you sign him? First of all, he's got a no trade clause, so he'd have to waive that. So that'd be the first thing that would have to happen. The second thing is they just paid an astronomical posting fee. So they'd need to get that money along with the, all the years. And I don't know what kind of, of trade value he has. He had a few good, he had a few good weeks, few bad weeks. So basically he's Ian Happ. So like, I don't know <laughs> oh what to God, tell you, so you know? So I, I mean, we're, I'm thinking he's pulling it out. This is people getting to know his weak spots. Uh, it seems like the high fastball has been a little rough for him lately. And there's, I mean, there, we're getting data on say a Suzuki now to figure out and the teams get it first. So they're looking at how do we get this guy out and they're figuring it out now. Say it needs to adjust and he probably will. Cause he's good, but it's going to take a moment. We don't even know what we have yet, but yeah, it's way too early to start talking about say a Suzuki waving his no trade clause to get traded to a contender. So um, yeah, I yeah, don't think I don't think you need to worry about Seiya Suzuki going anywhere, Joey. I, I do think it is interesting, Danny. I was noticing that the league is, you know, adapting a little bit to say to Seiya. That's sort of what you would expect. They're, this these numbers are all like really small, so please don't take any of them with like predictive value because they don't have it. But if you go to Baseball Savant and you look at Seiya Suzuki's page, you can get an idea of what he's done so far this season against fastballs, against breaking stuff, against off-speed stuff. Um, he was really hammering fastballs when he first came up. Uh, Danny is correct that those numbers have gone down a little bit as the fastballs have risen in the zone, and he's trying to adapt to that. But he's he's making some adaptments or adjustments against breaking stuff that is helping him out a little bit, although he's still only hitting 250 against breaking stuff right there. Um, the other thing about Seiya that kind of is very interesting to me on this page, he, he's kind of just like a barrel god. Like he's only had 51 batted ball events, which is low at the moment. I've actually been watching this number for a while because 50 is the number where batted ball events becomes sticky on StatCast. And so I've wanted to write a piece uh, looking at Seiya and how he's doing it. I've been waiting for that number to get over 50. It barely did in this last White Sox game. But right now, Seiya Suzuki is in the 94th percentile in the league in barrel rate, which is the rate of balls that are hit for like a ridiculously high average, usually home runs, definitely like doubles and extra base hits. Um, his barrel percentage is 17.6, which is quite good. Uh, and if that is and his max EV is 110.9. So th those both look like numbers to me that indicate that Seiya is a very, very good hitter and he will adjust back as the league adjusts to him. Yeah. And we'll just sort of see how this keeps happening, right? Um, I don't think anybody expected Seiya to hit like 400 for real. I know I joked about it on Twitter, but I don't think anybody was like, <laughs> Seiya Suzuki is going to be the next 400 hitter. I think that, you know, when he was in Japan, he was like a 350s hitter with an OPS over 1,000, over 1,100, lots of pop. I think that you that probably translates in the U.S. to like a 290 305 guy with a lot of pop 20 home runs plus and yeah. you'll be happy with that yeah yeah no he'll adjust back he's too talented not to and uh and don't underestimate how hard it is to adjust not just to all new people all new pitchers all new teammates but an entirely different country where you're hearing a different language than you're used to every single day and you're 
you're going around the world, you've got the travel schedule, which I think a lot of people have made uh, of that is half of less than half of what it is in Japan. Japan's way smaller than the United States. And the Cubs have had a couple questionable road trips like the Milwaukee to Atlanta or the Colorado to there has been to where do we go? Pittsburgh, like just dumb stuff. And And we're about to go Chicago to San Diego after a night game on ESPN for hashtag reasons. I'm going to have to make another uh, Cup of Cubby Blue bingo card for tonight's or for this week's ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. Don't let me forget that. (laughs) Yeah, please do. Those are fun. Um, Um, You know, while we're talking, we'll talk about uh, ESPN Sunday Night Baseball and the Dodgers coming to town, plus some news and notes from around the league on the flip side. But we are staring down a commercial break. So first, a quick news, quick break for our sponsors. And we're back. So as I alluded to uh, before the break, the Cubs will be on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. That is because the Dodgers are coming to town for a weekend series at Wrigley Field. They will be playing three games at Wrigley Field starting on Friday. Um, Before we get to that Dodgers series, couple news and notes. The Yankees winning streak finally ended. I think it tapped out at 11. If this is one of those seasons where both the Yankees and the Cardinals are going to have monster years, I might just tap out because I can't handle it. Well, I don't think the Cardinals are going to have a monster year. The They're winning Yan- games, Danny. I know, I know. The ARP tour is 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 really moving, but at the same time, I mean, I think it's going to be really tough to overtake the Brewers in this division just because of the pitching, and when their hitting comes around, and and it ha- it did against the Cubs, that's for sure. Maybe that was the that that was the impetus they needed for success. I mean, but, I was gonna. I mean, between the Cubs and the Reds, you can probably piece together like 30, 30 games of real, real good hitting. If you're the Brewers, I don't even know if the Reds are gonna win thirty games this year. <laughs> and so it's they're not they're on trajectory to like lose one hundred forty right now. Um, yeah, the Yankees are insufferable. <laughs> their fans are terrible. Um. I don't know what to say. Like, this is going to be awful. And they made all this stuff about that kid getting that ball, which which belongs to Mai Tai guy. Everybody knows that every <laughs> ball given to a child needs to be handed right over to Mai Tai guy in the left field bleachers. Um, Can I say something <laughs> about that kid and that ball? Because obviously that was super cute. Like, I love that the kid in the judge jersey got the judge ball. That's adorable. Whatever. That's great. Like, I, I love stories like that. It's a feel-good story. I hate all the people who take that and then retweet it and say, everybody should do this. This should be the rule. It's not the rule. The reason it's a good story and the reason it's a nice thing to do is because it's an it's an extra altruistic act. It is a nice thing to do for a human being that you're not obligated to do. There's nothing that obligates anyone to give a baseball that they caught in the bleachers to another person. Like, if you want to, that's great. But if you don't want to, you don't have to. Maybe somebody's holding on to that baseball to take it home to their niece or nephew or somebody who they know will also care about it. You don't know their whole story. Maybe they're they're not doing that. Maybe they just want the ball because they've never got a ball before. But, like, I don't know. I hate the notion that all baseballs that get hit into the stands at baseball games must be given to a small child or you're an evil person. Cause I just, that's <laughs> factually incorrect. <laughs> they all belong to my tie. That's what I say. They're all my tie guys, front row bleachers. If you have a ball, find him, give him your baseball. That's, that's where I come down on it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, clearly like if you want to give the ball to a kid, that's, that's cool. I, you know, I'm, I'm cool with that. I just, I really hate the implication 
that everybody has to do it because it's a nice thing you saw somebody else do. I think that mandating niceness is is like, yes, we should all be nice, but mandating niceness is kind of weird and like not if, I don't know. It, it makes it makes it less of a of a generous act if it, if you're only doing it because you have to. Yeah. I've given every ball I've ever gotten away to a kid, but it was later. I went home with the ball and I gave it to a kid later on. And it wasn't even that same day. It was like a week later and they're at my house or so, or a, or a year later. I'm like, Hey, you want this baseball? It's a real one. And I give it to him, you know, and that's yeah. just, it, it doesn't matter how it goes down. Just like stop judging people for their baseball decisions. <laughs> I mean, you know, like I said, you, you never know what somebody's going to do with that ball. They might have somebody who really, they really want to give it to in their own life. And I think that's totally fine. The fact that they didn't hand it to a small child on national television doesn't mean that they're a bad person. But they made, but the, what annoyed me about this whole situation with the Yankees though, was that they made all this stuff about, because then they bring the kid down. He's going to meet judge and he's crying and everything. And I'm just like, and I'm a cynical guy, but I'm like, quit force feeding me this. I mean, you know, I yeah, that understand. didn't bother me so much. That's just yeah. well, that's just I'm a cynical teams jerk, looking so. for looking for good social media content. But I get it. Yeah, that's true. Um, Kel- Kelsey Whitmore made history this week twice. If you missed it, uh, she was the first woman to play in the Atlantic League, and then became the first woman to pitch in the Atlantic League. So hats off to Casey uh, to Kelsey Whitmore, who is making history and doing wonderful things. If you didn't see that, take a look at it. Uh, it's been all over Twitter. It's been pretty great. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, it's about time. It's, I mean, th- there were women playing in the Negro Leagues back in the 40s. So this this has already existed. There's no reason except for that they separate the sexes out so young. Uh, if, oh, you play soft, you play with a bigger ball and throw underhand. And there's no, there's no point to it. A lot of girls' baseball leagues going on. So I think that as that develops and as more and more players uh, come through those ranks, you're going to see baseball is going to want that talent and they're not only going to want that talent, but they're going to want those gate receipts because that's going to be also an attraction for your team. If you can find an incredibly talented woman to play on your team. Oh, well you just got 50% of the country right behind you just for that reason alone. So, yep. No, I I will be there. I will be one of those people picking up some of the gate receipt just, just to be there if I can. Um, Let's talk about this. Cubs Dodgers series coming up. Look, I, I don't know what to tell you people like the White Sox are a good team. They're a better team than the Cubs, but they're not doing as good as the Dodgers right now. The Dodgers are a better team than the Cubs and doing better. So this, this has the potential to go really poorly. Like it would not surprise me if the Cubs don't win a game on this homestand. I'm not trying to be a pessimist, but if the Cubs like got swept by the Dodgers right now, would anybody find that surprising? I would not. The Cubs are going to throw TBD, our old friend, plus uh, Justin Steele and Marcus Stroman in this series. The Dodgers are going to roll out with Tyler Anderson, Clayton Kershaw, and Walker Bueller. Aside from that Stroman-Bueller matchup, none of these look particularly in the Cubs. Like, that looks like the Cubs might be able to maybe hang. Doesn't even look like the Cubs have an edge. I just, these pitching matchups look bad for the Cubs to me. Yeah, on paper, it's bad. Uh, our, I think our best hope is for Friday's game where we're throwing TBD because, and basically only because it's going to rain. So there's a good chance the game will be washed out and we won't lose it. So I don't know when they'd replay that game, but um, Tom Bob Davis TBD is going to have to uh, pitch a different day. I think 
Yeah, it's it looks rough. You, every single one of the Dodgers starting pitchers has an ERA under three this year so far in all their starts. The Dodgers bullpen is a top 10 bullpen so far this year. Their offense is a top 10 offense. They're just firing on all cylinders, as you'd expect $270 million to do. They have nearly double the payroll of the Cubs. And uh, it's just it's just so sad to live in a, such a small city like Chicago with such a small market team that refuses to spend on their players, um, unlike uh, the Dodgers. It's, it's just a tragedy that the Cubs couldn't put together a team where they you know, had a few high-powered free agent guys that could contend with this Dodgers juggernaut. Um, I, I'm with you. I, I don't really see a lot of reasons to hope in this game. I will say I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing Clayton Kershaw pitch at Wrigley. He has struggled at Wrigley Field in the past, but he struggled against the old Cubs that, you know, were much better hitters than this current crop of Cubs. There's no shade to the current crop of Cubs. I just wrote a piece on the offense and how the contact-driven offense might be a better fit for the current ball environment than the home run driven offense was. But I just, there's not a lot of guys left on the Cubs that really made Clayton Kershaw work. That was really like a Rizzo Baez type yeah. of special. And um, so I don't know that Kershaw is going to continue to struggle at Wrigley field. I think that those struggles are probably past him. He might strike out 10 to 13 guys in six innings of work. Uh, kudos to Clayton Kershaw, by the way, who is the Dodgers all time strikeout leader as of last week. And it kind of sends me that nobody has 3,000 strikeouts in a Dodgers uniform, but nobody does. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I'm looking at the numbers that the Cubs have against Kershaw, and Contreras has seen him more than everybody. And he does have a home run off of him and uh, is three for 11 uh, with a walk. But overall, in, it's not a lot because we have all these 4A guys on the team that I haven't even seen Kershaw that much. Overall, the Cubs in 60 plate appearances have struck out 28 times. So, and are batting 158. Like it's, yeah, it's not, it's not a great look. Go Cubs go. Uh, in terms of hot hitters, the Dodgers are rolling out a lot of guys whose bats are hot. What can I say when you go out and sign Freddie Freeman to be your first baseman and you already have Mookie Betts on the team like that, that's, an easy thing to do. Um, Freddie Freeman is leading the way with a WRC plus of 155. Austin Barnes, their backup catcher, has a WRC plus of 137. Don't worry, their starting catcher also has a WRC plus over 120. That is Will Smith. He has a WRC plus of 129. Chris Taylor, he of the Benzo Bristian utility player, uh, has a WRC plus of 133. I did not jot down the rest of these guys, but they all have a WRC plus well over 100. That is Mookie Betts, Gavin Lux, and Cody Bellinger, who appears to be rebounding the Belly Yelly crew, uh, both rebounding in this year, 2022. Danny, how are Cubs pitchers going to fare against such a murderer's row of talent? Well, they have to pray that it just keeps raining starting on Friday and just rains until uh, you get on Noah's Ark and sail out of Chicago and go to San Diego. I, it's going to be a tough series. I, I got to say that I'm, I do have some uh, hope for the Stroman game because I looked at their numbers against, against him. Uh, Freeman does not do well against Stroman. Trey Turner doesn't do great. Justin Turner, it, the Mookie Betts has seen him the most and is only batting 216 with an OPS of 480. So it's like maybe Stro can like salvage this uh, situation. It's going to be a big stage. Sunday night baseball Cubs 
oftentimes seem to pants themselves in front of national <laughs> audiences. Um, I'm looking at you, Kyle Schwarber in left fields, but um, you know, it, it can be, it can be a little bit uh, rough. I'm, I'm really hoping that we can at least salvage one of these. Um, I am curious because it is going to get rained out on Friday. I'm almost convinced it's like a 98% chance of rain. So I, what I'm wondering is on Saturday, would they do it Saturday? Cause then it'd be a Saturday night game or would they do it on Sunday where it's already a six o'clock start and they do like a noon. That's what I'm wondering. I suppose they could do either, but I bet that they would do the Saturday. Well, I don't know. There's also a mutual off day right before they, uh, the Dodgers come play the White Sox, come play the White Sox on June 6th. So I suppose the mutual off day might make more sense. Are the Cubs home during that mutual off day? Or do the Cubs have to like travel in from Pittsburgh and then go back and to then go see or something? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. I remember doing stuff like that. Um, I, I will look right now. Uh, we are home and then go to Baltimore. So that's so I, right before the Baltimore, New York trip. So I suppose it's possible that they could use the mutual off day. I, I sort of feel like they'll just try to get a double header in because MLB has had a lot of scheduling issues this year already since they lost the first week of games and they're trying to like put them in various places. The one that I saw that was the most amazing for reasons that I can barely comprehend. There was like this lone Giants Brewers game in Milwaukee as the Giants were like traveling back from I don't remember where they were from they were they were on on the east coast traveling back they played one game in Milwaukee and then they flew the rest of the way back to San Francisco in order to finish their to do another series I was like what is this game why are the Brewers playing a one game in against the Giants in the middle of a Giants road trip but MLB has all sorts of weird scheduling things going on this year and so I imagine they would rather try to just get the double header in while the Dodgers are in town in case they need that off day for something else. Totally. Yeah. And I'm, I'm here for it because Saturday and Sunday look nice. In fact, let me just say right now that I, I will be in the bleachers, hopefully with you, Sarah, uh, on uh, Saturday, May 7th. I don't know when you're listening to this podcast, but I will be very near where bleacher Jeff caught that Patrick wisdom baseball. Uh, if you want to come and uh, buy me a beer, <laughs> Cause it's my, it's my birthday coming up. So happy um, and birthday, Danny. Thank you. And it's my dad's birthday. So I always try to come, he, he passed away uh, over 20 years ago, but uh, I always try to go to the game on May 7th, which is his birthday and kind of honor him. I oftentimes will keep score that game. I, I keep score a couple times a year. I know you always keep score, but I do it a couple times a year and I oftentimes do it on May 7th. I don't know if I'm going to do it this time. I might just party. I've had a busy week and uh, not keep score, but um, that's why I go out there. And I, and so if you're there at the game on May 7th, come out and say hi. And you don't have to buy me a beer, but hey, I won't say no. But um, no, I'd love to just say hi to everybody and see everybody. That's more important to me is just like shake hands and smile in people's face and be like, hey, what up, brother? Yeah, I'm hoping I can get out there for that game. I've had a really busy uh, couple of weeks at work. And I, as you all may remember from a couple of episodes ago, I've been fighting this chest cold that has been pretty awful. So I've been trying to get my, give myself some space to recover and to get over that. But I will absolutely, um, if, I, if I am doing anything on Saturday, I will that, be yeah. in the bleachers hanging out with Danny, watching Clayton Kershaw mow down Cubs hitters. Um, the Cubs offense... <laughs> These numbers sound better than they are because they're all 
over like WRC pluses over 110. And also they were higher the last time we talked, which means that the offense has gone down since the last time we talked. So uh, these are your Cubs hot hitters heading into the Dodgers series. Alfonso Rivas continues to have a WRC plus well over 150. It's at 163 right now. Ian Happ um, still hitting. Ian Happ is doing his MVP Happ impersonation. Congratulations to him and Justin Seal, who both got engaged uh, on the off day earlier this week. Uh, Ian Happ has a WRC plus of 144. Say Suzuki is down to 138. He's in a little bit of a mini slump, but I think he'll be fine. He's just adjusting as the league kind of adjusts back to him, as we already talked about. Patrick Wisdom is sitting at 137. Those home runs and doubles will continue to keep him hot, even as he even as he strikes out like 38% of the time. As long as he can keep hitting home runs, it's going to be okay. He's the Dave Kingman of the 2020s. Uh, <laughs> Wilson Contreras is at 118. That is down a bit from last series, but... Wilson Contreras usually rebounds, so I'm not too worried about him. He's absolutely scorched a ball in game two of this White Sox series that I was sure was headed out to dead center, and the wind blew it back. The marquee graphic had a had a nice showing of how that ball, with even a neutral wind, would have easily cleared the fence. I was mm. worried Luis Robert had hurt himself on that play because Luis Robert went into the air and crashed into the center field brick wall at Wrigley to catch that Wilson Contreras ball and rob him of a double. And like, it was a great catch, but also don't do that because that's a brick wall. And (laughs) why White Sox outfielders keep doing things that would almost get them hurt is beyond me. Well, how about the other guy that Jake (laughs) Berger? I almost forgot. Yeah. Danny, go ahead. Describe it. That's my favorite thing that happened aside from Bleacher Jeff catching a home run this year. Well, I know you, cause you, you tweeted out where the ball actually landed, which was about 25 rows back on the, the left field side in foul territory, well over the net. And it was Jake Berger that did it. Jake Berger, man. Third baseman (laughs) for the White Sox. Going into the stands for the ball 25 feet back. Yeah. And now I know that the wind was swirling around, but it wasn't (laughs) swirling that much. You know, it's like you need a You need like a uh, Wizard of Oz type twister to make it go that far. But that was pretty funny. Nails the wall. Ball lands. like 40 feet away (laughs) what was so great about that so when you're watching it on marquee you originally don't see burger go into the wall because they're just following the ball and the ball is like way back in the stands it's just like a foul ball that is like 20 feet back in the stands and the fans are all trying to catch the foul ball and then they pan to the field and you see that like burger is being looked after by the trainer for the white Sox because He's, he's hurt. And it's like, how did this guy get hurt on this foul ball <laughs> into the stands? And then they pan out and show the whole play. And sh- I, I don't know, man, that that dude was doing his his best Aloy Jimenez impression as a few people tweeted at me, like trying to go into the stands for a ball that is impossible to get. Um, but yeah, he just he went straight over the that. And it's kind of a short wall there on the third base side. So I suppose it's possible that he also just like misjudged where he was relative to the amount of room that he had, but he was nowhere near that baseball. (laughs) He landed (laughs) in this lady's lap on the third baseline. (laughs) I know it was pretty ridiculous looking. And, and the frustrating thing about this uh, whole series with the Sox is like the Cubs, the balls were just out of their reach. And they were falling in for these weird blue pits, whereas the White Sox players looked terrible, but they like start getting to these baseballs. Like Luis Robert didn't make that nice catch, but there was like a bloop one that 
could have fallen in front of him. Said he catches it, doubles off, magical. So it's just like all these these little just things kept adding up with the game of inches. And it's just like the Sox looked terrible doing well. And the Cubs actually seemed to hit the ball harder and had nothing to show for it, especially in game two. So it's like not to get back to the series and like go over retread <laughs> ground, but because we're talking about how stupid the White Sox look sometimes uh, defensively and kind of, they do look like cl- a little clownish at times, you know? Um, oh. And I know, Look, if I were a White Sox fan and this was the window and we were supposed to get it done with this team as it is currently constructed, I would be a little bit worried. Uh, Aloy being out would worry me. The fact that Larry Garcia plays way too much would worry me. No, it does. The fact that like AJ Pollock is pretty fragile and could get hurt at any moment. Tony LaRusso's existence and the way that he kind of can just mess stuff up by existing would worry me. Um, I'm not saying the White Sox are a bad team. They are a much better team than the Cubs, as we just saw. I think they're a fun team. I fully anticipate going down to the South Side to watch a bunch of baseball this season because it's going to be the best brand of baseball in Chicago, particularly after the trade deadline. But that said, like, I, I don't know. I, the Tigers are making a push in the AL Central. The Twins are making a push in the AL Central. I would not be comfortable if I was the White Sox and this was my competitive window. Yeah, I'd be mad at Reinsdorf for not opening up the pocketbooks. Now, maybe they will at the trade deadline. Now, I don't know who they have in their minor leagues. I'm not well-versed at the on the White Sox system. But all I know is I don't want to trade with them anymore at all. Well, the other thing that's weird about the White Sox is, and I, I'm going to go back to the manager situation, the year that they hired Tony LaRusso, the Tigers hired A.J. Hinch. A.J. Mm-hmm. Hinch was out there. You could have interviewed him and hired him for your, like, team that you want to contend for a world series and instead you brought tony Larusa out of retirement i just i find that shocking yeah he's a hall of famer baseball type person well <laughs> so. if that hall of famer baseball type person has any issues you know you'll hear about it here on cup of cubby blue in the meantime danny where can people find you when you're not celebrating your baseball birthday in the bleachers yeah, well, then the other times I'll be talking about the Cubs uh, tonight, actually, if you get this right away on the Sunranto show, we'll be going live at seven o'clock on all our social medias at Sunranto on Twitter. It will be live and you can find Sunranto show just about on every social media streaming platform there is. Um, and on Sunday night as well, we'll be well, actually probably not because it's a night game. I just remembered that. We'll figure that out. Never mind. Edit, edit it out. No show. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, at some point, we, we go pretty much series by series with that show as well. So, But uh, but as uh, I said, we, we will be playing the entirety of the Bleacher Fight uh, on our show. So <laughs> it's a different pl- kind of show. You want a play-by-play of the Bleacher Fight, go to Sunranto. If you want to see me just like make Twitter jokes about the Bleacher Fight, come to my Twitter, at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find everything that we're tweeting out about this show at the at Cup of Cubby Blue account. We will be covering the Dodgers headed to Wrigley Field for what looks like a mismatch, but you never know. Baseball can baseball. Maybe the Cubs will steal a couple here. If they do, we will let you know about it on the next Cup of Cubby Blue. Till next time.